Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. How to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and your life. And who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty. In fact, my team and I love the pretty. But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Home Energy Design. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm actually really sick. I flew up to Virginia last week to help a client with her feng shui, and we did a massive clearing of energy, and I think I completely depleted myself. In addition, I did what's called a chi transfusion onto her husband that has not been well for a long time, and I'm pretty sure that's why I'm now sick, um, but... But this is an excellent example for all of you healers out there that I know listen to this show. I know I have a lot of energy healers um, and people who do energy work and body work, whether that's acupuncture, massage, any type of thing like that. When we give of ourselves, we are literally giving out our own energy to the point of exhaustion and sickness if we are not careful. And it really was not a good move uh, for me because I have literally been unable to work for over a week now, and I've been unable to do any healing work. Um, This is actually the first day as I'm recording this today. It's Friday morning. Um, This is the first time that I've actually been able to even talk because um, I've been so sick and so ill. So keep this in mind when a client asks for help. Um, my client is actually soaring and, uh, um, unimaginable things are happening for her and her husband hasn't been this well in over five years. So they're kicking ass and taking names probably because they're operating on my kick-ass chi that I've been cultivating for a long time. So, um, but it wasn't worth it for me to get this sick. So, um, just a little PSA to remember to take care of yourselves first, Um, I typically do, but I really wanted to help this couple and I really wanted to give to them and I kind of overdid it. So anyways, um, today is going to be a great show. It's actually going to be a two-parter. I have on author and co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, Karen Newell, and I just, I still can't get over the fact that she said yes to do this podcast Um, Her new book, uh, which she co-wrote with Dr. Eben Alexander, who is the author of Proof of Heaven, um, Living in a Mindful Universe is the book. And it was just, it was very profound. And it's great because it combines the woo with the scientific backup that I think a lot of people who have a skeptical heart, you know, hold pessimism. It really answers a lot of those questions. And she and her partner, Kevin Kosey, um, who you know, they're the ones that started Sacred Acoustics, which is um, really one of the reasons why I wanted to have Karen on. Um, You know, he's this amazing innovator in um, sound. And so they basically came together to create these brainwave entrainment um, audios, basically. And for several years through their company, um, it's now Sacred Acoustics, but they were basically just making these and sharing them amongst themselves. And what started out is just a shared passion for exploring these expanded states of consciousness turned into a proprietary system called NeuroHelix. And NeuroHelix is a blending of harmonic layering technology and it delivers modulated brainwave patterns to create a profoundly relaxed state of awareness. And what's so cool is that their system, unlike any other that I've ever tried, and let me tell you, I've I've been listening to um, sound technology like this since the 90s. I've tried everything um, with all kinds of different frequencies and tones to reduce the brain filtering effect, which, you know, is supposed to allow you to uh, set your consciousness free. And nothing has really worked until I found Sacred Acoustics. These recordings deliver a range of delta, theta, and alpha rhythms that draw your brain into hypnagogia. And this is like a 
really kick-ass state. Um, I've been trying really actively to get into this state um, to achieve lucid dreaming. And this is something that I've been trying for a long time. And, you know, um, I did uh, attempt it, or I almost got to it uh, one night when I attempted it, and I failed miserably. But um, one of the reasons that you want to do lucid dreaming is because it's a great way to access your subconscious mind where a lot of really fantastic information lies. So anyways, I've been listening to Sacred Acoustics for a little over a year now, and I meditate with it twice a day. And the results have really spoke for themselves. Profound synchronicities have happened in my life. Um, I talk about the nature spirits that I encounter all the time on this show about how nature speaks to me. Um, I've had profound visions, feelings, and, you know, just experiencing um, really this amass, like a, a big boost in cognitive abilities. Um, I, before I got sick, I actually did a radio show and I couldn't believe the ability that I had to retrieve data that, you know, books that I had read 10 years ago, authors to those books, like I was on fire. And I know that it's because I've been listening to sacred acoustics and, and really doing the work. Um, because the technology is just, it's beautiful. It's, it's some of the best I've ever heard in all the years I've been doing this. So at any rate, I'm thrilled to have Karen on today. And she was kind enough to give me over 90 minutes of her time just to really allow me to geek out on her journey to higher realms of consciousness and then also working with Dr. Alexander, who, as I mentioned earlier, uh, wrote Proof of Heaven, but he had a near-death experience in 2008, and he's a neurosurgeon, so he didn't know how to explain any of this weird shit that was going on in his life, and in fact, he wanted to poo-poo it and, you know, chalk it up to it was just a dream, but he couldn't explain why it was so real. So anyways, it became a, a really long interview that what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually split this up into two parts. So you're going to get part one today and part two next week. And we will kick off the first part today and um, just get started. And um, also because of this, after reading her new book, uh, Living in a Mindful Universe, she talks about her ability with heart resonance. Um, she has this ability, you know, our heart actually has so much more information in it and um, its ability to communicate is so much stronger than our brain, but our brain overpowers everything and she's learned how to reverse that. And so she talks a lot about that in the book as well. But the reason why this part is important is because I am making the entire month of May our gratitude month. It has been scientifically proven that if you can get into the space of gratitude, which stems from the emotions and frequencies of your heart, you change your chemistry. So not only does uh, Karen and Dr. Alexander talk about this in their book, but Amy Stark, who I've also had on the show, she actually uh, just sent me an article yesterday talking about the brain chemistry and our overall chemical makeup uh, that changes when we get into the idea of gratitude and we start the, getting into those feelings of gratitude. So anyways, we will put that link up in the show notes so that you can read that article. I encourage each and every one of you uh, to check this out. It's got a lot of really great scientific data, but it just talks about how you literally change your um, state of emotion and your uh, state of being by simply being in a place of gratitude. So I definitely want each and every one of you to check that out, especially if you're getting sick like me, because holy cow, I've decided to now do a show on above and below the cross emotions when you don't feel good, because I have been cranky because I don't feel well and I'm getting pissed off because I'm not getting better. <laughs> I have shit to do and I'm, I'm struggling with that. So uh, real quick, some quick mentions before we get started into the show. Mother's Day is next weekend, so if you're looking for some ideas, don't forget about Dry Farm Wines. 
Todd is offering, uh, he still has that great promo. If you go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Amanda Gates, you can still get a bottle for a penny. And yes, you do have to sign up for a subscription. I know that that is hindering a lot of people from doing it, but once you are in the system, it's totally customizable. You can tell them when you want shipments. And like my mom set up her account and she's customized it to where she's getting wine every three months. And if you want to do it every six months, you can do that. So once you sign up, you can do that. I've also got some online classes now available. Um, the big one that we're really pushing is the Feng Shui for Beginners, uh, which is going live on May 21st, but you have to sign up by May 15th um, so that we can get the material. We've got an ebook that's going out to you. We want to make sure that we have enough time to get that to you before the class goes live. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the birth of sacred acoustics, consciousness, supreme illusion, and Karen's journey into all things woo, solidifying her as a spiritual seeker. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today I am super excited. Um, I actually started this uh, interview uh, reaching out to Karen uh, Newell for Sacred Acoustics, and then she sent me her new book, Living in a Mindful Universe. And so I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. But welcome, Karen Newell, to the show. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, Karen sent me uh, her and Dr. Evan Alexander wrote a book together, and um, it's called Living in a Mindful Universe, and it just opened up a can of worms. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to ask her about this, 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 and this. Um, and some of you may know Dr. Evan Alexander. Um, I actually did it backwards. I read Map of Heaven first, and then Proof of Heaven, so I kind of did it backwards. Um, but actually how I found out about Dr. Alexander is from a YouTube video. I tend to watch a lot of videos on um, YouTube about near-death experiences, and he was one that popped up. He had done a talk. So I had uh, read Map of Heaven, and he admit, and I think you were at that talk because he brought up sacred acoustics looked over to somebody in the audience and started talking about you. And I was like trying to grab a piece of paper. I'm like, this sounds important. I need to write sacred acoustics down. And so that was my introduction to sacred acoustics. And I had looked at it and I had downloaded the foundational series. And then I read uh, map of heaven and he mentioned, mentioned it again. And I was like, I think they're onto something here. Like I, I need to really get into this. Um, because I had downloaded foundational series, but I hadn't listened to it. <laughs> so tell us about what sacred acoustics is and why you developed it. Cause I learned from the book that it was kind of like a little secret society and, and you guys were kind of keeping it to yourselves. <laughs> well, the, the, there were reasons for that, but uh, at any rate, the, the sound was all for me came, came to be an important sort of part of my spiritual growth and process when I was trying to learn how to meditate. And meditation to me was one of those things that Eastern monks did and they went into caves and they were very ascetic and they didn't interact with the world. And I really thought of it in that fashion because when I looked for meditation classes in my neighborhood in the area, they were always related to Buddhists or, or some kind of religious tradition. And, and that was intimidating to me also because I didn't want to be expected to, you know, take on someone's religious views just to be able to learn how to meditate. And so I tried to do it myself at home and I tried to follow directions like watch your breath and things like that. And I would sit there for 10 minutes and, and just think what a waste of time because all I would do is have lists of things going through my mind and I couldn't settle that mind enough to realize how important just getting into that state could be. And so it was sound that really helped me to settle the mind. And so things like, um, I'll say tuning forks because I was taking a class for healing touch for animals and they introduced tuning forks to us. And I would hold one tuning fork on one side of the ear and one on the other, and it would create this really amazing sound and kind of put me into an altered state of awareness and really calm the mind. And so I started looking at things like Tibetan bowls, crystal bowls, um, all kinds of sounds that make this kind of wah, wah, wah sound. And 
this happens on airplanes and all kinds of things. Those kind of very calming, monotonous sounds. And so then I learned there was something called brainwave entrainment, where you actually consciously create sounds that make these types of sounds. And what they're supposed to do is entrain the brain to more relaxed states. So beta is our kind of walking around, analyzing state. And uh, we're in that right now when we're talking and paying attention to other things. But alpha, theta, and delta are all lower states of awareness that are associated with relaxation, with focus, with concentration, with meditation, with deep sleep. There's something called the hypnagogic state. And that's that state that's right between awake and asleep. And we're all in this. We can all recognize this first thing in the morning when we first wake up, especially like if you're in a hotel room or someone else's home and you kind of don't remember where you are. And that state is what these types of tones can start to induce in people. And they, for me, really helped to quiet the mind. But not only that, they enabled me to really go very deeply into my own consciousness. And uh, they provided many, many benefits, but I don't want to just go, you know, railing into those in case you have a particular direction you'd like me to go. We're going to go in all kinds of different directions. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up the hypnagogic state because that's actually why I was really, really attracted to sacred acoustics. But, uh, you know, as I was reading more into the book and it was talking about the things that, you know, you've done uh, over the years through all these mystery schools, the one thing that I have not been able to accomplish is lucid dreaming. And at the hypnagogic stake is very, very, uh, it's that sweet spot. You know, they talk about how Einstein and a lot of the uh, intellectual giants, um, I think it actually uh, is mentioned in the book where Einstein would hold the tennis balls and uh, he would sit in his chair and when the tennis balls would fall out of his hands, that's when he knew that he was, you know, falling into that state, you know, just the things that they would do. And for the audience, if you've never heard of this idea of uh, lucid dreaming, it's this state where you are aware of being um, in a dream. You're, you're, you're aware. How would I explain that? Yeah, so lucid dreaming is when you kind of wake up in a dream and realize you're dreaming. And so usually you don't realize you're dreaming until you wake up and you say something like, oh my God, I can't believe I was dreaming. That was so real that this you would wake up while you were dreaming and realize, oh my gosh, I'm dreaming. And that's where you can use your consciousness to do all kinds of things um, with your awareness. Now, a lot of times that lucid dreaming state is elusive. Very interesting that you brought that up though, because I often describe what we do with the sacred acoustics recordings when you, when you listen to them. It's like you're putting yourself into a lucid dreaming state from an awake starting point. Whereas the other real lucid dreaming is when you're in a sleep state, when you're in a deep sleep and realize you're dreaming. And so when you use the tones to get into these states, you do it from an awake state. And as you go into deeper, deeper states, you start to lose awareness of the physical body, or you might feel it vibrating or feels kind of things. But you also start to feel your energy expanding and all kinds of things. I hate to say that, you know, this is what you will experience because every single person on the planet is unique we will all have a unique response. And that's why it's so important, if you're curious, to try it for yourself and not just listen to what we're saying, because we'll all have a slightly different response. And some people will immediately have amazing experiences, like suddenly they'll find themselves out of their body floating above or something like a near-death experience. And that kind of freaks out a lot of people and they don't necessarily want that to happen. That's not common, but that is one thing that will happen to people the first time they listen. Others just might get really relaxed. Others fall asleep. Others feel sensations in their body. And um, one of the common responses I would have early on is that I would start to get emotional. I would start to cry and not know why. And at first this bothered me. And people write to me sometimes and say, these are making, your tones are making me emotional. What, why are they doing this to me? And what I realized was, the tones were really just activating something that was already within me. And over time, I realized when I would start to feel emotional, the tones were actually triggering, or not the tones triggering, but me getting into an expanded state where I got out of that beta everyday awareness into that more relaxed state. 
And when I would get there, I realized that I was triggering emotions that I had not processed properly in my past. And some of those emotions were really strong that I had completely forgotten about once I had this amazingly strong feeling of, of loneliness. And I didn't understand why, do, why, where's this coming from? And over time, I realized that if I would just allow myself to feel whatever it was, loneliness, feel alone, feel abandoned, and just have that feeling, the feeling evolves as you're doing it and it actually releases. And I don't have those feelings anymore, those traumas. And the more that you do this, the more you're able to kind of replace that energy with more of what we say who you truly are. And we all are much more than our physical bodies. Uh, we call it, we also like to call it becoming more whole, where we become more aware of how our thoughts and emotions really do have effect on our physical body and our physical reality. And also uh, becoming more whole in a spiritual level. It's very important to understand that we are made of energy and we inhabit physical bodies. And that book, Living in a Mindful Universe, includes a pretty comprehensive scientific theory that uh, Eben Alexander calls, well, we call it together, we made it up together, the primordial mind hypothesis. But Eben is really the science behind all of this. This book, we say, really marries science and spirituality. So if Eben's the science guy, I'm the spiritual person. And in fact, when we first met and I asked him, what did you learn during that near-death experience of yours? Because so many people do learn real spiritual lessons. Mm -hmm. He says to me, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I said, why would anyone think that it does? And, you know, I didn't realize this was kind of the fulcrum of the scientific materialist model is that the physical is all that exists. And it's simply not true. When you start to explore in these realms and you start to find out for yourself, uh, we all can access these. You too, Amanda, can learn lucid dreaming. <laughs> I know you can. We all can learn these things. It's just a matter of trying and cultivating it and having that curiosity to try. Yeah, it's for those who are listening, you may want to know why you would want to do, why you would want to be aware in your dreams. And uh, as Karen mentioned, when you are in a lucid dream and you're aware, um, you're able to tap into your subconscious mind. And so you can access, we, like Karen was mentioning, we're in our beta uh, when we're in our awaking state. And so we tend to be in our conscious brain and that's where we can really uh, step into the fear and the, the, you know, the guilt and kind of the yucky emotions and we can get stuck. And the subconscious is where the sweetness is. Like it knows all the answers and Lucid dreaming really allows you to tap into that and get into the, the real answers. It kind of gets you out of that supreme illusion that you guys talk about. Um, and I think that one of the benefits that I've really read about lucid dreaming is just um, our conscious brain can really get us in this erratic, frenetic froth over something that's so, you know, kind of meaningless or, um, you know, not going to matter in a year from now, but in a lucid dream, you could get to your subconscious and it's going to be like, well, that doesn't matter, but how about this? And so it just kind of brings to the surface what really matters out of it. So I've been wanting to tap into it more from a spiritual aspect, um, which I wanted to ask you, one of the things that was brought up in the book is on page 35, you're actually, I think you were at a conference and, uh, one of the doctors, Dr. Pim Bom Lomel, I think is how you pronounce it, um, which is actually the, this is the same page too. I loved what you were just talking about. Why would anyone think that it does? Like, <laughs> I love that because that's another question that I have here in a minute. But he, uh, Dr. Pim Bom Lomel, thinks that you've had a near-death experience. Yes. That was really fascinating. Kim Van Lommel is just the most amazingly warm and loving man you could possibly meet. He, he's like a grandpa. He's like the world's grandfather. Just so, so sweet. And uh, Evan already knew Kim. Uh, he's actually a cardiologist from the Netherlands, and he wrote a book called uh, uh, Conscious, Consciousness Beyond Life, I believe. And uh, it, he, as a cardiologist, he did heart surgeries and had all kinds of people waking up from heart resuscitations 
explaining these experiences. And he took them seriously and researched them for many years. And so what he told me was, he was so used to interviewing people who'd had near-death experiences that he had come to be able to feel what their energy felt like. And so that's what he told me. He, he felt like I had had a near-death experience. And I said, well, I, I haven't had a near-death experience, but I sure have explored consciousness rather extensively. But oddly, he said, no, I think maybe you had one when you were a child and you just don't remember. And I do remember fainting and having seizures um, for a time. And according to the doctors, I so-called grew out of it. Um, we never really figured out a big cause, but he said potentially during those, and I just don't remember it. He asked me if when I was a child, did, you know, did I feel a, a connection to nature? Did I uh, feel like I knew more than other people older than me? And all kinds of little things that he asked me, and I said yes to every single one. I said, yes, that's how I am in the world. And so he theorized, yep, you probably had one, but don't remember. And it seems to me that when you touch that spiritual energy, you bring some of it back with you. And I like to tell a lot of people that this idea, you know, people get very fascinated with near-death experiences, especially Dr. Alexander's, for some reason, his is, there resonates very much with people. He was in a coma for an entire week and remembers this amazing spiritual journey and doesn't even remember who he, he didn't even realize he was a human during this experience. Most people remember their families, their jobs, and they have that as a reference point. He didn't. And we believe that allowed him to go even deeper. And the, this thing about um, ah, the stuff you were talking about that gets in the way, a lot of that is related to our belief systems. So whether they're political or cultural beliefs that we're kind of born with, or our families teach us, you know, religious, societal, those kind of beliefs, but also beliefs that we kind of start to adopt when we're young based on things people told us, like when your parent is mad at you or something and they say, you can't do anything right. Those kinds of things, if you hear them enough when you're a young child, interestingly, children up to, I believe, around age seven or eight are in that theta brainwave state all the time. And this is when they're just sponges. Children just learn like nobody's business. But they also learn and hear these negative comments that, of course, as well-meaning adults, usually we don't mean to have the lasting effects like that. But many people will grow up. I grew up because I was made fun of for having a high forehead. I, I guess this is audio, so you can't see it. But I now wear bangs. And I learned later in life that um, a high forehead is a sign of intelligence, not, you know, the kids called me Frankenstein. And... Uh, I realized, no, 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 I, that really means I'm smart, but I still wear bangs because I'm self-conscious. These beliefs that we adopt always are limiting in some fashion. They limit us because we believe that we're not good enough. I believe that I must be unattractive because the kids are making fun of me. All of those things, they get in the way of our experience, those little voices. And so just as you were saying in Lucid Dreaming, when you listen to these kinds of tones, you're able to really find a neutral kind of space. And this is what in meditation they often call the observer, the observer within. And so this is kind of step one when you're listening to um, our recordings or probably any meditative practice is to really start to realize that you're separate from your thoughts. And so when you go into these states, the way you start to train yourself is when your mind starts, you, you first you focus on your breath. This is very common. And if your mind starts to wander and you realize, oh, I'm not focusing on my breath anymore, that's the part of you that's the observer. And so you say, no, no, let's focus on the breath again. That's the part of you that we recommend people really start to get to know. This part of you is neutral. This part of you doesn't have those belief systems. This part of you hasn't been programmed to think certain things. And this is something that can be very useful one, when those uh, emotions come up, you can let yourself experience those emotions while your observer is watching and saying there must be a reason this will be, you know, lead to some, some important growth. We like to say that hardships are not something really we want to avoid. A lot of us look at hardships and why is our life so horrible and this happening and that. And what really is happening is hardships are opportunities for growth. How many of us can look back at really challenging hardships and realize, oh my gosh, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have X, Y, Z. And so, you know, just 
hitting the lottery and, and uh, sitting on a yacht all day sipping champagne is not necessarily, you know, the peak of what we really want to do here in our lives. What, what we've really found is that love is at the center of all of this. And you can have money or not have money and still interact with this loving energy in ways that can be very useful both to yourself. But before I get on that topic, I wanted to just mention quickly that we did do a pilot study with a Manhattan psychiatrist last year. And she found that when our um, recordings were listened to by her patients, her clients, that they had a 26% reduction in anxiety mm. uh, after only about two weeks of listening. Now, regular therapy, I believe, uh, who the people who did not listen to the recordings while they were having their therapy, their anxiety decreased, I believe, by about uh, 8%. I might have these numbers slightly wrong. This study is currently being peer-reviewed by a medical journal, so all those stats will be uh, available to everyone. It's actually quite amazing that you can listen to some tones and reduce your anxiety. And people did this because they were... They were were advised to watch for the observer, let the tones get their brain into a quieter state, and they could view their anxieties in different ways. They could let go of things like you were saying that really aren't as important as it seems when you're caught up in the story that you're telling yourself that brings you to that anxious moment. And uh, so we see a lot of really amazing potential, not only for re, uh, you know creative inspiration, like you said, problem solving, um, finding answers to burning questions, but things like anxiety and stress and, you know, the suicide rate is uh, absolutely skyrocketing. And this is something that we really need to take seriously as a society. And Eben and I have come to the conclusion that the suicide rate is related to this spiritual vacuum in our world. So I love that you do this spiritual podcast because spirituality very often is denigrated, is associated with dogmatic religions or any other number of reasons that spirituality is considered unimportant by our society. And we feel this is a direct result of that materialist model of science that has really taken over our secular world as if there is no spirit at all and it's all just imagination. This is a disservice to who we really are. As humans, primarily, we are spiritual beings. And so to completely ignore that is at our peril. And I believe that what that is part of what has driven this uh, suicide rate of people thinking that there's nothing they can do and it would just be better off to just forget about this uh, physical world altogether. And so the, the uh, results of the pilot study are very promising to treat other types of mental illness as well. I think that's so important too, 26% reduction in anxiety. I mean, um, what I was, uh, just looking up in the book is what Karen was just talking about is on page 198. And she's, they say in here that, um, having faced Dr. Alexander faced alcoholism in the nineties. And he said that he experienced dark aspects from the addiction in general, representing a spiritual hole in the core of one's being that they are trying to feel, fill the non-spiritual substance with a hole that's unfillable except for spiritual matter. And spiritual emptiness stems from a sense of isolation and separation, which is false. So that's what we were talking about with that information that uh, is in that beta egoic state. But it is devastating to the human who suffers it, filling a void of spiritual emptiness with something in the physical world like drugs, alcohol, sex, and all of these other things that basically we think are going to fill that pain, but it's only temporary. I'm, I, I think that that's so important because so many people, I talk about this in my own practice, they seek and they seek and they seek and they seek for external things like the sex, the drugs, the food, you know, whatever it is that they fill it with. And it's because, like you said, they feel that uh, they're lonely or they're isolated or they're separated. But like with your uh, question to Dr. Alexander, well, why would anybody think that it does, that, you know, consciousness is, you know, separate from uh, us. 
if you're on that spiritual journey, you know that we're all connected, you know that we're all one and you won't have that. But if you lack spirituality in your life, then you're not going to feel that. Which yeah, I'm curious, uh, we were talking about your uh, near-death experience a minute ago and, and throughout the book, it talks about how um, Karen and I were just talking about this before the show about mystery schools, which I had never heard of that concept before. But um, man, you've done, you have done all the workshops, lucid dreaming, astral travel, telepathy, remote viewing, self-hypnosis, all forms of energy healing. You mentioned the um, animal therapy, uh, feng shui. What were you seeking for? Yeah, and, and astrology and everything, and not just Western astrology and Western feng shui, but there's so many schools of feng shui and so many schools of astrology and so when you start to look at all of them you start to see the universal truth and that is what i was seeking when i was very young and i got exposed to the methodist uh, religion that's the religion that my family practiced and i i would go to church camp every summer it was so much fun and i loved going to it because it was on the oregon coast beautiful unspoiled nature this is where i really got connected to nature that Ken Van Lommel asked me about was in Oregon and in, in the forest and on the beach. And so I would go to this camp and it, it made me a little nervous because of all of the um, religious talk that was going on. And I didn't quite understand it because when I was seven years old, my grandmother had sat me down. She's a evangelical Christian and she sat me down on the couch with my brothers, seven years old and said, I'm, you now need to accept Jesus into your heart so that you can go to heaven for all of eternity. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's really neat. Is that how this works? And, and uh, I said, well, what about the other kids who maybe haven't heard about this? And she said, well, honey, that's what we have missionaries for. Otherwise, they might go to hell. And I thought right then and there, I rejected this. I thought there is no way that this is how it works, that these children just because they don't have a grandmother to tell them about it are going to end up suffering for all of eternity so at seven years old i pretty much rejected for that reason the entire dogma i just thought no it, it can't be true because i wanted consistencies if you're going to tell me that then there has to be a solution for these other children and there wasn't and so i i just didn't do it and so when I got a little older as a teenager, I still went to this church camp, but it bothered me for these kinds of reasons. And I asked one of the ministers, I said, well, you know, I don't think I believe in God. Do you think that's okay? You know, I don't think I believe in God. And he said, oh, well, that's okay. It's not for everyone. And I felt so relieved. And this was, you know, a Methodist kind of guitar playing hippie minister in the 70s. And he said, it's not for everyone. And I said, oh, well, can I still come to church camp? And he said, well, of course you can, because I went for the community, the fellowship, the nature, the feelings of being together and the songs that we would sing, that the dogma got in my way. And so as long as I could just leave that out of the way, I had a wonderful time interacting with all of these people. The part of me was burning inside. If that's not true, then what is? And as I got older, I saw it and saw it for answers. And <clears throat> I couldn't find them. I did read the Bible. I did learn more about the Christian dogma. I learned about the Jewish religion. I learned about all kinds of religions and the Eastern traditions. And I realized there were so many stories out there. There couldn't be just one of them that was correct. And so I thought that I would figure out, I, I actually started to notice that there were some patterns that repeated in these different kind of traditions. And the one that is so commonly known, of course, is the golden rule. <laughs> that we treat others as we would treat ourselves. And this is, you know, as Eben says, this is built into the fabric of our universe through the life review. When people <clears throat> who have had near-death experiences who actually remember their lives, Eben did not, but when you, when you uh, die, you actually go through a review of your entire life and you're not, you're not just observing it, you're actually feeling what it felt like, not from only your perspective, but the perspective of the other people. So you actually feel the love that you give out to others, but you also feel the pain and suffering that you give out to others, whether it was intentional or not, even if it's careless, you're gonna, gonna come back to you. So it, it behooves us all to really pay attention. And I like to say we all should be performing daily reviews or weekly reviews, where we do go into that neutral state, kind of look back at 
events that have happened during that day or the past week or however long, kind of review from that neutral state, very important, because that's what happens when you're in a near-death experience life review, is you actually have that amazing binding force of unconditional love surrounding you, making sure you're safe and protected as you're feeling the pain of others. And you actually learn very important lessons through this process, some of which we write in our, about in our book. But there's a huge kind of uh, uh, thing about this in the, uh, what is it, the Michael Newton Life Between Lives Hypnotic Regression. You will learn so much about, yeah, so much about the lessons people learn. And, and some people who end up in wheelchairs or who are blind have actually chosen those things. And that is what's so shocking to many of us. Why would we choose our hardships? And the more and more that we look at this, the more we realize that all of the evidence points to that we do have free will, that maybe when we're kind of going through our lives and, and we feel kind of like automatons, as a scientist Daniel Dennett would say, that we don't really have free will, that we're all just programmed to behave a certain way, that same scientist would tell you you have no soul. So think about that. We believe we all do have souls and that that soul is making the decisions, that it's the soul that has maybe a little more free will than the human. But the more we can tap into that and realize that we've made these choices, that they didn't just happen to us by as victims. And so we, we really want to empower people to realize they have a lot more authority over their lives than maybe they've been led to believe. We cover that in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, with the um, genetics. You know, we used to believe, I guess it was back in the 70s when we discovered DNA. We all believed that, okay, I guess if there's, you know, asthma in my DNA, I'm going to end up with asthma or a heart attack or whatnot. But what we found since then, uh, what was that book? Super Brain, I think, uh, written by... Deepak Chopra and Rudy Tanzi. Rudy Tanzi is a Harvard neuroscientist who studies Alzheimer's. And what he found is, is that behaviors, actions, attitudes have way more effect over our genetics than, than you could possibly imagine. The stat is unbelievable. It's something like, I'm not very good with stats, so you have to forgive me if I'm a little off, but a little, bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit less than 10% of our... Um, of our diseases are, are truly genetically, solely genetically determined. In fact, I think it's much less than 10%. It's actually a huge amount is determined by how we behave. And so rather than thinking, oh, my mother got breast cancer, oh my God, that means I'm gonna get breast cancer and you just resign yourself to having it. No, there's many things you can do to overcome your genetics. And this is what needs to start to shift in our world, especially in the medical community where we've now just been used to going to the doctor and being given a pill. I guess it started with antibiotics. What a miracle. Yes, it is. But when you start to treat uh, everything with a pill, you, because it's, you know, what we're told is it's your brain chemistry is off. So take this little pill to reduce your anxiety. Your brain chemistry will shift. But what about the problems that made you anxious in the first place? You know, I just finished writing a book of my own that dives into many of these topics. It's actually with our agent getting ready to be shopped to publishers as we speak. But I speak about the substance abuse issues that my daughter had when she was young and her father, who was an alcoholic, who I divorced when she was very young. And these problems were not solely based on brain chemistry. I can look and trace back exactly where these problems began and how it all came together, but very often we don't realize that until decades later, when you can put all the pieces together. But we certainly are doing a disservice to people, I believe, to tell them that it's just brain chemistry. Certainly it can be related in, in some cases, but we need to tackle our mental health issues from all angles, not just with substances. Uh, very often, you know, my daughter was uh, actively abusing prescription medications in high school that she traded with her friends. And my uh, psychiatrist wanted to give her medications, the same exact medications she was abusing with her friends. And I refused. I said, no, you're not, we're not going to give her her own medications. Aren't you listening to me? She abuses them. And he told me, one of the psychiatrists who recommended this, and I declined, told me that I was borderline abusing my daughter for not allowing her to take the medications. 
and I marched out of that office. He, he threatened to take me to court. He did not, but he threatened to. And I thought, well, that's a real great way to get medical care in our world, you know, to be threatened to take to court for a treatment you don't believe in. The, the moral to the story is when my daughter was 18 and had graduated from high school, she told me I was correct. She said that's exactly what she wanted was a supply of her own medications to trade with her friends. And so she thanked me for not allowing that doctor to give her the medications. So every situation is different. I would not say that I'm anti-medication in all cases, but I am anti-only medication. We need to address our issues from many levels. And so that's why the tones being part of a potential uh, assistance for this process is very promising. And you also mentioned in the book that your daughter is doing very well now. So I think that's important to note um, that she's, you know, I, I don't want to step ahead and say that she's surpassed it, but you do mention in the book that she's doing well, which I think is just a testament to, um, I think mothers know their children and they know what's best for them. And I agree. I think that uh, our tendency is to want to just shove a pill um, as the answer, because that's been our solution for like the last 150 years, probably more closely. But um, I think also uh, in the idea of things being in our genetics is um, how important our self-talk is and getting in those uh, lower vibrations of fear and, and guilt and shame and the dogmatic stuff, because we saw that with Anita Morjani, right? Like her fear is what manifested her cancer. She was fearful of everything and manifested cancer. And when she realized that it was a supreme illusion and that, you know, I think what's so fascinating about near-death experiences and Dr. Alexander did the same thing. They all say it's more real than real over there, right? <laughs> so the awareness, it's like our ego can run rampant and really, you know, that conscious brain can really take control over us. And, um, you know, if we're, if we don't have that spiritual practice, how we can really, um, allow those fears to really take over, which does lead us to the prescription drug addictions, which does lead us to the bad behavior and toxic relationships and, you know, all the shit that doesn't serve us. But I think, um, when you do take on a spiritual practice, it's, I have always had an inner knowing. I've never had a near-death experience that I know of, but I've always had an inner knowing of, well, of course our soul goes on. Of course, like filter theory makes so much sense to me. I've never questioned that. I've never had a materialistic view on science, like that when we die, we die. That, that it, I'm with you. I would just be like, well, of course, like <laughs> consciousness exists. Like, of course. Um, well, well, speak to that for one moment. I think that I would harbor to guess that all children, that all people have that understanding as a child, and then that belief gets taken away from us. We are told, no, 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 this is how the world works, you know, when we go to school. And uh, I think it messes us up. I think in our pure essence, we do understand that. And those of us who have held on to that, like yourself, and many others uh, that I encounter, are just like you. They are not caught up. But somehow that materialist model has taken over our social policies. And that's what I hope starts to get fixed. Don't you hate it when you're like totally involved in a show and you're like invested in it and you're hanging on the person's every word and then the host comes in and says that wraps up part one and you got to wait until next week to <laughs> listen to the rest. Man, that's a bummer. This is a great interview, and I hope that all of you are enjoying it with Karen Newell and myself. Um, we will wrap up with part two of Karen Newell um, continuing on with consciousness and heart resonance and all this amazingness that we are talking about today. Um, but again, it was a really, really long interview, so that's why I'm going to break it up. But it's worth coming back for because it's a good interview. Uh, so don't forget Mother's Day is next weekend. So Dry Farm Wines, uh, you can do dryfarmwine.com forward slash Amanda Gates. 
uh, if you want to try them out we've also got a great feng shui for beginners class you can just head on over to the website it's the button at the top you have to register before may 15th if you'd like to take advantage of that and if you would like any other information, you can just reach out to us at letschatatthegatescompany.com. I do also want to mention um, we've got a new eco page up on the website. You can go to gatesinteriordesign.com forward slash letschateco. And so what I'm starting to do is just building an eco page that is kind of a, uh, an arm, so to speak, of the eco book, uh, easy everyday habits to be more eco-friendly. We are getting a lot more tips and tricks and recommendations from people as they read the book. And obviously I can't go into the book and update it and change it. So uh, we have realized that we need to put together a spreadsheet and we need to have a place that is easily uh, updatable for us that we can go in and so we now have spreadsheets of places that you can go to donate very specific products um, that comes from the book of random acts of sustainability and then we've also got uh, conscious consumerism we've got a list of uh, amazing amazing resources that you can do eco alternatives for products whether it's buying shopper bags or mattresses or trying to find you know eco toilet paper I mean you name it we've got it on this list and so it's a growing list and as we get more recommendations from other people we are adding to the list so if that's something that you are interested in you know we just got out of uh, our entire eco month last month um, you know I want this to be an everyday thing for people and I want everybody to be participating so that we can start making a, a kick-ass movement here and, and start making some serious change you know, it, it really pisses me off when I hear that my yoga instructor just gets back from Bali and they can't swim in the ocean because there's so much trash that's washing up on the beaches. They actually had a full-time staff that cleans up the beach five times a day with 40 contractors bags full of trash. I'm sorry, but that's unacceptable. We need to start making a movement here and we need to start change. We need to start acting responsibly and instead uh, we've been acting like parasites so I have a lot of listeners for this show and I know that if we um, you know stand together and start actively doing you know little things shopper bags you know produce bags little things like that where you can really start making a big change um, you know I know that we can really start making an impact so that these beautiful places like Bali um, you know people can swim how awful is that that people go into the ocean and get slammed in the head with you know plastic and water bottles and trash they're literally swimming in trash that's disgusting and it's all because of us so we can change that all right I know I'm being preachy I don't care I'm sick I'm cranky um and uh I want everybody to start doing uh eco habits uh and incorporating those into their life so part two will be up next week if you want more information about me, get a floor plan rating, uh, or you want to check out any of our stuff, you can just go on over to our website at gatesinteriordesign.com. And hey, trust the vibe, because the energy never lies. <laughs>